at the end of a day, you've got to sit and like whatever is going to bring you joy after a testosterone driven day. If it's sitting on the couch and watching a Netflix series, do it. If it's calling your favorite friend, do it. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm going to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. As I've shared here many, many times on the podcast, women are not small men. And when it comes to getting results with intermittent fasting, this fact has never been more true. See, I love intermittent fasting for women when we understand how to make it work for us and our hormones, especially as our metabolism changes later in life. Because here's the deal, whether we like it or not, what worked for us in our 20s isn't working for us necessarily in our 30s, our 40s, or especially our 50s and beyond. Because as we all know, our metabolism starts to shift and change, our hormones do too, and there are other factors that impact our metabolic health, such as inflammatory foods, insulin resistance, a sluggish liver, and a decrease in muscle mass, just to name a few. Given all the changes that take place in our body in our 30s, 40s, and beyond, it's important to take all of that into account and to know that there are great ways for women to fast so that they can get all the benefits without causing hormone disruption. Now, three of the biggest benefits of intermittent fasting are increased energy, decreased weight resistance, and boosting insulin sensitivity. Now, these are massive wins when you look at the most disruptive symptoms that women are concerned with today, which are often low energy, stubborn weight gain, and brain fog. Now, probably the two benefits that I love most about intermittent fasting is number one, boosting mitochondrial function, because we know that when we have more mitochondria, it improves our energy across the board, especially for our brain. And then number two, cellular autophagy. This is when our cells have an opportunity to really go in and clean up shop to reduce cellular inflammation. Now, cellular autophagy boosts cellular longevity, and it translates to improved quality of life as we get older. And I don't know about you, but I feel like that is the name of the game. Not only feeling good for as long as possible, but also having that longevity and vitality. And intermittent fasting can be one of the best ways to get us there. Now, one of my dear friends and the author of Fast Like a Girl, Dr. Mindy Pels, feels the exact same way. And she is living her best life in her 50s following the principles that she has studied for women and perimenopause and beyond when it comes to fasting. Now, before we jump into solutions for women that you can absolutely implement literally today, especially when you get her book, I want to quickly sing her praises. Dr. Minnie Pels is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, nutrition and functional medicine expert who has spent decades helping thousands of people successfully reclaim their health. She's a recognized leader in alternative health, and she is an amazing podcaster, and she's got an incredible YouTube channel devoted to the latest science on practical lifestyle tools to really reset their health. She also is a best-selling author to her newest book that just came out, Fast Like a Girl, The Menopause Reset, The Reset Factor, and The Reset Kitchen. Let's welcome her to the show. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, Dr. Mindy Pels. 
congratulations on your book that's out right now. I love it. I oh. love it. Not only is the cover gorgeous, because you know what? Sometimes that matters. Yeah. Um, but the book is phenomenal. And you know what? You and I both know this really important truth is that women are not small men. We're not small men. <laughs> thousand percent. And that's why Fast Like a Girl is really about us, how yeah, we can agree. make it work for ourselves. I'm so excited. I, I agree a thousand percent. And there's like two things I have to say on what you just said. One, do you know that when they first gave me the first go of the color cover, it was white. And I was like, this sucks. <laughs> and they were like, gave me two options and they both were white. And so I sent it to my agent. My agent was like, that is not you. So I sent it back and I was like, can you put these colors? And they put that beautiful teal color. So it's gorgeous. Yeah. Thank it's you. Gorgeous. I love okay. that color. It just feels so serene. It feels so yummy wellness. I'm not going to lie. I like my blue too. Yes, up here. Yes. Um, that Tiffany blue, but your blue is gorgeous. It's just such a beautiful book. I just want to grab it. I want to read it. I have been reading it. And I love it. And I love having you on the show. I know it is the new year. This is coming out in the new year. So I just want to know kind of what has been like your biggest intention. How are you wanting to feel this year? I just would love for you to just share with us how you are setting the tone on making 2023 an amazing year for you. For me personally? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. This is a great question. So I'm going to tell you the short answer to a very long story. Sure. 2022 provided me more change in my life than I've ever had ever. My kids moved out of the house. We're empty nesters now. A couple of my key right-hand people in my staff moved out and they're of, you know, out of our area. They're still in our business. Um, I had friends leaving. And then in September, I closed my clinic. I'm a hundred percent all virtual and writing books and educating the world. So in all of that, there was so much grief so much grief. And I just felt the depth of sadness like I hadn't before. So this year, what I want to do is ground myself and my intention, the word, I always pick a word for the year and my word this year is connected. And the reason I picked that is I feel like I need to get reconnected to me. When you have had a lot of change, when you put a book out like this, you just feel like there's little parts of you that have been splintered apart. And I really want to come back to my center. And on top of that, I have some relationships in my life that I just want to connect back into. So connected is my intention. Mm, I love that. I love that so much for you. I love that so much for anybody. Right. But yeah, having a big year like you had, the book was just mentioned at the end of that. But let's be right. honest, all of last year was gearing up for that incredible yes. launch that you had. You're still in right the second. But yeah, I mean, I feel you. All of our best friends moved away. Everyone lived in San Diego. <sighs> Everyone moved away this year. And, and we've been visiting them. Um, but it's, gosh, it shifts and changes. You know, ooh. Yeah. And I can't even imagine. I mean, I cannot like my little heart just like squeezed when you said you guys became empty nesters this year and, the, and your kids went off to go do their thing. Like I can't even go there. You yeah, know what I'm saying? With, with my little two year old. You know what was so hard about it is that our house was the hub. And especially during the pandemic time and all of that, we just had a lot of kids. We just created an environment where it was supportive and safe and all that was gone. And so these kids that were, were like my kids, it wasn't just my son going off to college, but it just was like, wow, the energy just got sucked out of our house. And I was sitting there in the loneliness, like, what is going on? It's just me and my book over here. It's, it's me, my book and my hubby, <laughs> you know? So thank God I love my hubby and I yeah, enjoy right. writing a book. So, but it was a real energetic shift. Mm. 
Oh my gosh. I can't. Yeah. We, uh, we are very much a hub ourselves and we're so grateful for that. Of course. And you know, on the friend front, you know, you sort of lose sight of how important it is to have friends in your area because there is a lot of our friends that were what I call our spontaneous friends. They were the people you could call at four in the afternoon and be like, hey, you want to go to dinner tonight? Let's go do X, Y, and Z. Well, a lot of those spontaneous friends actually got divorced and many people moved out of the area. I felt like my whole world just broke apart and just totally changed. Mm. It, it's crazy. And I think a lot of people are feeling that in the pandemic. So many paradigms shifting. And so many people moved away. Yeah. Everybody moved to Austin. Right. That's right. Go <laughs> find your Californians. <laughs> are all in, if we need like a where's Waldo, it's like, where's my friend? Yeah, oh, we're my friend. Yeah, they're in Austin. They're in Washington. They're in Florida. They all moved away right. from California. I think California has seen like a million people exodus or something like that. So that's crazy. And what are some of the habits that you are bringing through 2022 into 2023, in particular, like health habits? You are one of the most healthy, vibrant, high energy. I mean, obviously you walk the walk, right? You're not just talking about it. Like you live what you teach, you live what you educate. So what are some of the things that are going to just come on right through into 2023 that are going to help you kind of stay grounded? That's a great question. So the first thing I would say is I have carved out now that I don't rush off to an office every morning, I spend the first two hours now meditating, reading, connecting to myself. Um, I have a hyperbaric oxygen chamber at my house. So I've been getting in every morning. I crawl out of bed. I get in my chamber for an hour. I listen to some meditation. And then I've become like a biohacking center for myself. I've got a PEMF chair and I sit in there and read something. So my morning routine has become sacred to me in such a big way. I would say the other thing that I'm as a 53-year-old woman, I'm really focused on is trying to get some of my exercise habits back, you know, like building muscle. So I hired a trainer last year. I'm going to continue forward with that. And then the last thing, what might be the most surprising, and I've been sort of public about it, is that I've gone down the rabbit hole of trying to understand plant medicine and psychedelics. I've even gone into EMDR therapy. So I'm looking at all the different ways and strategies we have to create neurogenesis in our brain, especially as we go through menopause. As you know, that loss of estrogen, you know, as you, you've written about, is like it's just so difficult on the brain. And as a 53-year-old woman, I find myself not reacting to stress in the same way. I'm much more reactionary. So last year, I dove into really being full transparent, like what's the research on psilocybin? What's the research on kava? I've even looked at, you know, there's a lot of discussion right now about the adverse effects of alcohol and THC on the brain. So, okay, well, if those aren't tools to calm the menopausal brain, what other tools do I have? And it's been really interesting what I've discovered. So I'm going to continue on that journey this I year. I love that. I love that journey so much, not only for healing past traumas and patterns that we don't even know of. They're just kind of just unconscious running, running as they always run. But then also you're right, as our brains are changing, our neurochemistry is changing, serotonin, dopamine, obviously two of the most incredible neurohormones we are losing some more precipitously than others, but estrogen for sure. And such a major player on how our brain functions, how we're clear, our motivation, our memory, alertness, all of that matters. And yeah, we want to keep as, as sharp as possible. 
Yeah. And I think it's such a good point to highlight, especially for the women going through perimenopause and menopause. I love this idea that the brain has to recalibrate to the loss of hormones. And I think if we understand that there's this decade, you know, starting in the late 30s, going into your 40s, where that loss of estrogen makes you react to stress so much differently, makes you hold on to information differently. And so I can feel it in myself at the end of a day you know, that I've been pushing really hard, you give me something stressful and I literally can't handle it. And I've learned with my husband, I'll just say, bring me that problem tomorrow because I literally don't have the neurochemical resources right now to solve that. It's just going to agitate me. So I've been learning, okay, well, how do I fill up the serotonin and the dopamine? Because if you're losing estrogen, your brain's recalibrating. Estrogen is a precursor for serotonin and dopamine. So now what do you do with those two, two neurotransmitters? That's really the depth in which I've been trying to understand how to help my own self. Yeah, absolutely. Any consideration, Vinny? I know we've always been very natural about what we do, adaptogenic herbs, and obviously plant medicine can be a possibility as well. Have you considered, have you looked into, I know you know a lot of the research about bioidentical hormones. I'm just curious on your take on it. Like, how do you yeah. feel about it? I feel like yeah, I'm becoming a little bit more gray area. I'm a big fan of every tool in the toolbox. Yep. Yeah. I'm like, throw it all at me. Yep. Like, Whatever's going to get me functioning again. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's really true. So I would say for the most part, I have been like, let me do everything naturally. Let me do everything through lifestyle. And that's what the, my last book, The Menopause Reset, was written about. Is oh, like, yeah. here's, here's what I did. But recently in the last couple of years, I just noticed that, again, it's my reaction to stress. And I found that I didn't like how I was showing up for like my family. I was easy to agitate. And so I ran a hormone test on myself, a Dutch test, and I actually handed it over, you know, Dr. Carrie Jones. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, love, I, love I handed it over to her and I was like, okay, this was this summer. I was like, I'm your patient. Tell me what I need to do. Like, just, let's just pretend that I don't know anything. And she said to me, girl, you got to get on some bioidenticals. And she said, primarily because you need to make sure that this mind of yours stays really sharp. So I started trying, I mean, I don't know what you've heard about bioidenticals as far as the learning curve and finding what works for you. So I started trying progesterone. That was horrible. Total estrogen drop. I tried estrogen, didn't really notice anything. And then I went in with testosterone. So now I'm doing a testosterone bioidentical game changer game changer. So I'm experimenting to see, I'm tiptoeing lightly in it. And to your point, I think every woman's got to find their own journey. It is. It's true. I mean, obviously our chemistry is also different. Obviously our experiences are also different. How we take care of our body is yeah. so different. I see women, some women absolutely need a little bit of progesterone in their forties just to get through the crazy right. transition, especially with mood issues, sleep issues, just taking like the edge off. Like progesterone yes. could be that glass of wine at night. Yeah. The progesterone <laughs> wine. That's so good. I love that. Um, but then, yeah, yeah. We, I mean, like the unsung hero that we never talk about is testosterone. And, right. you know, and she or he, however, however you want to name her, it's dropping precipitously as well. Along with progesterone, we often don't have any by the time we get to menopause. 
major player. It's one of our best build you up hormones, just like yes. growth hormone. And then you've got estrogen who is playing just a major role in our brain health, our cardiovascular health, our bone health. I mean, it is a metabolic anabolic major player here, keeping insulin sensitive, how the brain is working, how the brain is metabolizing energy, the yes. metabolic process of our brain, a lot of in part is being driven by estrogen. And yeah. so, yeah. In, but then when we've got that window where it's a great time to do it, like around menopause at the beginning of menopause, but yeah, you've got to be so mindful, you know, titrating the right hormones, depending on your circumstances, you really have to be in lockstep with your doctor to yep. figure out the right dosage. It's so true. I think that's the thing about all hormone replacement, but especially bioidenticals is that there's going to be an art to it that's unique to you. You got to give it enough time. You might at first feel like you don't feel good. Like progesterone was not the right thing for me at this age to go in with. I think primarily because it dropped my estrogen even more. So it just made, and then that was what gave us an idea like, hey, maybe we need to go in with testosterone. One thing I learned interesting, I actually learned this from talking to John Gray this year. Hmm. You know, men are from Mars. Oh, yeah. Uh, I had him on the show. <laughs> yeah, he's a funny little guy. He is. Anyways, he said that one of the things that he sees with women who are in a driven role in their life, that they're using so much testosterone. And so at, they're depleting testosterone at such a fast rate because they need it to get through their driven, high-performing day, which is totally me. So he's like, at the end of the day, what a woman needs to do is to bring estrogen back up. And if she can bring estrogen back up, then it'll start to bring testosterone back up. Like it'll pull testosterone back up. So I said, well, what do you need to do to bring estrogen up? And he said, estrogen growth in women, anything we do that brings us joy, anything that we do that is connection. Like right now, we're probably boosting each other's estrogen. And he's like, so we, at the end of a day, you've got to sit and like whatever is going to bring you joy after a testosterone driven day. If it's sitting on the couch and watching a Netflix series, do it. If it's calling your favorite friend, do it. If it's talking to your husband and like processing the day and that makes you feel good, do it. So I've been doing that as well. But what I realized was, well, what if I come in with testosterone and then estrogen doesn't get as depleted as much? And that was where that bioidentical works so well. Mm. Oh, I love that. Well, and I mean, think about high-driven women, which there's so many listening right now. We're depleting everything. Let's oh. be honest, like the amount yes. of minerals and antioxidants and vitamins that are needed for us to do what we do every single day. Whew, goodness. Right. Um, but I do love having rituals that are feel good for so many reasons, not just yeah. that yummy boost, but like yeah. we just deserve it. You yeah. know, I remember my publishing house asked us to do was during perimenopause awareness month or menopause awareness month. And what were three things you would tell your perimenopausal self? And one of them was, I deserve to feel good. Like that was like number one for me. And then the next one was a uh, number two was only doing things that are full body. Yes. Mm. If, if, you know, it's like just tapping into that. the full body. Yes. Cause so often it's 50% of our life almost is in the perimenopause and beyond. Like yeah. it's a big chunk of time, ladies. Big, yeah. And the fact that modern medicine ignores it is just, ah, uh, it's hooey. Yeah. It's ridiculousness. Yeah. It's shameful to be honest. And so I'm, you know, that's why we have this, why we're here. You and me, we're right. here for this reason. It's a, a big chunk of time, but I think about so often we're so bombarded with obligation in this particular transition 
We got so, so much that we got to do, have to do. And I was like, but what if it didn't have to be like that? <laughs> like, what if right. we could just like, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to. And then the last one was really understanding our metabolic flexibility, which oh. I was, I think is a great segue into what yes. we're talking about today. Yes. Because that- man, that has got to be dialed. I mean, that's just, that's the thing for you, many too. That is dialed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for me, it's totally dialed. In fact, I didn't start off to tell you I'm on on a third day of a water fast right now. And my husband and I were were doing it together with our community and celebration of the book. And I said to him this morning, I was like, are you hungry? And he's like, I'm not hungry at all. And I'm like, I'm not either. Like we're on the third day of a water fast and we're both walking around like, oh yeah, I forgot we're water fasting. So that's what it's the metabolic flexibility that I've been practicing in my forties that has us in that spot. That is amazing. I know people are like jaw dropped, like, huh? <laughs> like I'm still recovering. I'm like trying to get my stuff together. We're recording this on the fifth of January, by the way. And I know that there are so many people who are like, I'm still in pajamas. I don't know what right. you're talking about. <laughs> eating my Christmas cookies. There's still Christmas cookies in the fridge. (laughs) There's still like in the back of the cabinet, shame chocolate eating going on back here. Oh my God. That's so funny. So true. Well, they can go get fast like a girl. So they, when they're ready to recover from that, they can learn how to be metabolically flexible. I love, yes, exactly. Okay. So let's segue over to the book. I'm so, I just, it's so incredible. It's so amazing. And I just would love to ask, like when you sat down and you were like, okay, this is the book I'm writing. This is what I'm feeling called to. What was the main intention for wanting to write this book? Yeah. I love speaking with other authors because you understand the mindset of what goes on to write a book, to go through that whole experience. And you're right. There's like a moment where you're like, I've got to write about this. Yeah. Two years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Two years ago. Then I got to take you back to 2021. (laughs) And I got to stay excited for two years about Mm -hmm. it. It's so Mm -hmm. true. It's people don't realize how long it takes to put a book out into the world. So there were twofold. One was I was teaching fasting to my online world, specifically my YouTube channel. And I started to see a real difference in how women needed to fast compared to men. And then I was going through that experience myself. I was learning how to vary my fast as a perimenopausal woman. And then really what the catalyst was is how many articles were coming out and they were like, women shouldn't fast, women shouldn't fast. And it started to create this like bad reputation. Like we were not supposed to fast. And that was when I just put my hat in the ring and I was like, okay, we got to have a book just for women. I watched all these fasting books come out one after another. And I was like, no, we need one for women. And so that's where I just was like, we got to write it. So I wrote it. I love it. Let's dispel some of the myths. I know there's some women listening right now who have read the articles or whatever is out there that say, if you fast, your thyroid is going to go in the crapper. If you fast, you may just lose your period. If you fast, you're not going to recover from it metabolically on the back end. These are just some, I'm just throwing some. These are all, yeah, I got, I got answers for all of those. (laughs) You're, you're spot on for what people are saying. (laughs) And so let's, let's talk a little bit about dispelling some of those biggest myths and talk about not only dispelling them, but like, what are the, I mean, you have taught me so much. You have taught me so much and I'm about to finish my breastfeeding journey. I never thought in a million years, I still be breastfeeding after two years old, but here I am. And so, you know, I'm a little bit more fluid on it. Um, and I'm so excited that once this journey is over, I'm going to get it. I'm going to hit it harder. You know yes. what I'm saying? And yes. so I'm super stoked, but like some of the big massive benefits of doing it after we dispel some of these myths. 
Yeah. So do you want me to do the myth busting first? That's, I love yeah. me some myth Let, busting. Let's start with thyroid because this yeah. is the most common one. The first thing, and this actually goes into a lot of the scenarios you just gave, is that when we look at fasting, fasting is not calorie restriction. I really have to emphasize that because when we talk about thyroid, that is so important. It is time restriction. So you are putting all your food into a very specific time period. And in the book, I give six different length fasts and you can choose that. And I show why you would want it fast for different time lengths. So with thyroid, once you open up your eating window and you're going to eat, eat. That is not a time to go into calorie restriction. So if you do a 15-hour fast and you have a thyroid problem, once you open up your eating window, you better make sure you get enough calories. The second thing about thyroid in the studies that I saw was that in all the research they show in a fasted state, T3 goes down. But then if you don't look at the other studies, there are other studies that show, and when you reintroduce food back up, T3 doubles. That T3 goes up in like surges in a bigger way. What a lot of the premise of the book is that fasting is only one part of the equation. What we bring back into our eating window and how we break our fast can will continue that healing journey even uh, in even a deeper way, which is what thyroid health is. Mm, I love, thank you so much for that. Yeah. And then let's talk a little bit about people thinking that they're just going to wreck their hormones overall, like their menstrual cycle is going to be off. And I think that probably this speaks into the first myth bust as well, is that maybe people are, they're restricted eating, they're calorie restricting even during their window. Yeah. And that's the big part of the book is that what I learned is that as a woman, you can't just fast the same way all month long. You've got to get to know your hormones. So the way I like to look at it is that, and this is my new sort of phrasing, is estrogen and progesterone are like our twin sisters. They may look alike. They, we may call them the same name, give them like the same last name, but they have vastly different personalities. And estrogen shines when you fast. The protective estrogen is going to just be so... She, she loves, loves it. it. She yeah. Loves she's it. A, she's like, yeah, like, let's do this. That's right. She's like, let's go. loves it too. Yeah. It's so funny because I was like, I've been on this three-day water fast and this morning I woke up and I'm like, my skin feels so moist. And I'm like, oh, Estrogen. I've been giving her an opportunity to come in in such a big way right now. It's so cool. So she loves when you fast and progesterone hates it. Progesterone is like, give me glucose. Don't give me any cortisol. Sit me on the couch. Give me a box of of pizza and a tub of ice cream and let the world move away from me and I'm happy. So we've got two conflicting hormones, but in a 28, 30-day cycle, front half, to keep it simple, front half of the cycle, estrogen's coming in, back half of the cycle, progesterone's coming in. So women need to know how to cycle their fasts and their foods according to those hormones. Absolutely. I, we've talked about this on the show a couple of times already, but how does it shift? Obviously women are like, okay, that, yes, I get that in my twenties and into my thirties. I'm 45. Everything's hitting the fan right now. And my cycle is all over the place. We're still tracking it, right? We're doing the best we can to figure out, you know, I know this can be a more tumultuous time. Yeah. So there's a couple of recommendations. Perimenopause is the hardest age group for me to explain how to fast to. So I'll give you some kind of core principles and I go in deeper in the book. But one is that we got to get to know the personalities of our hormones. So start to understand like when you're spotting, that is progesterone saying, hey, 
I need you to help me out here. I need you to raise glucose. I need you to lower cortisol. So spotting isn't just a byproduct of perimenopause. You can start to read that and know how to step out of fasting, step out of keto. Estrogen in perimenopause is changes to skin and hair, mucosal membranes dry out the nose, vaginal area, cognition goes off. When those symptoms show up, you want to make sure that you're leaning into some of the longer fasts. You can start by understanding the personalities. The second thing is I'm so happy to hear you're tracking, and it kind of cracks me up because I started tracking at 45, and I never tracked before. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like I'm tracking my cycle at a time when my cycle is exiting. But it was really helpful for me to understand where I needed to change my food habits. And again, I wrote all about that in the book. The third way that I think is really interesting, and this is a new way I've been talking to people about it, is if you have like a 60-day cycle or like it goes months, start tracking it with the moon. So there's a lot of interesting information coming out right now that if we didn't have all this blue light on us, that most women would be cycling at the same time around the the ebbs and flow of the moon. So a lot of my menopausal women, a lot of the women who are 60, 90 days without a cycle, I recommend once you hit that like 30 days, you don't know where you are, look at where the moon is and just start tracking it according to the moon. And Mm. I don't know, have you ever done that? Actually, I run with the moon. I, Ooh, well, tell I don't me more. What does that mean? My cycle is with the moon cycle. With a full moon, I'm usually, I'm bleeding. Yeah. Okay. It's really fascinating to be 43, still breastfeeding, obviously doing a lot of things around metabolic flexibility. And for the most part, I land at 28 days. Occasionally, I think that the breastfeeding piece is kind of just messing with things a little bit. Yeah. Um, sure. And I just won't know until that's gone and then retest and redo all the things. So it's a really interesting time to be kind of at the precipice of perimenopause and then to have this like other really important role that I'm playing. But for the most part, I land right on the moon cycle, um, which is really nice, which keeps things easy. And it's so interesting because I definitely am more in the direction of we should just keep tracking that into menopause. But also there's a little bit of, I don't know if this, you know this better than I do, but the freedom of those hormones have definitely diminished. We kind of are not, we're never like men, but hormonally things are not as ebb and flowy as they were. We have more leeway in menopause to kind of rip the bandaid off, so to speak. Yeah. When we look at fasting for both men and women, Feast, famine, cycling is what we always have to be thinking about. We have to be thinking that we fast longer sometimes, and then some days we don't fast. And some days we eat a higher carb meal, and other days we don't. And so when you move into that time where you don't have a cycle, you can vary it a lot easier because you don't have a cycle to track it to. So you're right. As you're exiting into that menopausal, out of your menstrual cycle into the menopausal time, there is a sense of freedom, but just make sure you still vary it. Okay. Got it. Yeah. That's what I was like. I feel like we're still kind of in a middle ground Yeah, where we're still not men. That we're still not men. Menopause or not, we're just not. But we do have some more flexibility to kind of play around with at that time than we would have had in perimenopause in, in the transition over. And definitely it's a little bit more gray, more freedom than we having that cycle when we are in that potential of producing children. So that's right. 
That's right. Yeah. And and, and the differences of men and women, I'm sure you spoke of this on your podcast, but I think it's really important. It doesn't matter what time of life you are. You know, men really have testosterone to think about. And then testosterone goes up into the brain and converts into estrogen. So a man, when he starts to fast or he starts to look at his lifestyle to improve testosterone or hormones in general, he has one to think about. Women, we have three. They are all made when we're ovulating. They're, the majority is made in our ovaries. When we go into menopause, now it's in our adrenals and some peripheral tissue. But we still always, doesn't matter if we're 35 or 65, we're never completely like a man no. because we have these three hormones, which means variation and catering to these three hormones still becomes an issue that we've got to think about as we age. Agreed. Well, and that's why things, yeah, it's just more nuanced for us. Yeah. The way, however, how we want to have the mindset around that, like it's a superpower. It doesn't have to be something that restricts us, but we have to be mindful about it. None the same. That's we right. Just, you know what it is, is that we can always handle more things in the air. <laughs> That's right. We're, we're, it's true. It's true. Not for a second. So all throughout my book, I'm like, your hormones are a superpower. And for so many years, we have as women in general, this wider emotional range because our hormones give that to us. Mm-hmm. And yet we villainize it. We bitch about it. But in general, these three hormones were ridiculously powerful. During the pandemic, I kept walking around and I'm like, we just need to line all of the women up that are ovulating and we need to put them in a room and say, how do we get out of this situation? Because they've got estrogen at its peak, testosterone, a little bit of progesterone, they're equipped to handle any problem during ovulation. It's so true. Very superpowers. When I was actually just talking to someone today about how everyone wants women to be on day 13 of their cycle, 24 seven, every single day. That's how we want women to show up in the world. Everything's peaked. We're high confidence, sensual. We're deep, deeply connected. We're nurturing at our peak. I'm like, but at the end of the day, we're going to be on day 27 too. Right. You know, day 27 is coming and that looks Love different that. and we get to own that and people get to support us around that. And the more that yes. we normalize this, that, Hey, my neurotransmitters, what's going on in my brain on day 27 looks so different than what's happening on day 13. Yeah. And the more that we talk about this and understand this, and we just appreciate who we are on day yeah. 27, equally as much as we do on day 13, Gosh, it just shifts everything. Yeah. I love what you just said because earlier in the conversation, you asked me like why I wrote this book. And one of the things I keep saying is that books like this, books like you've written, they crack open conversations like this, crack open the opportunity for us as women to say, yes, our moods, our mental clarity, our energy is different at different times of the month. And that is how we're designed. But what we're doing is that we're living in a very patriarchal world. And this is not like anti-men or anything. It's just that the patriarchal world says hard work, put your head down, do this, and you do it over and over and over again. And the female body is more of a feminine, obviously, and says, hey, you know, some parts of the month, I can do that. I'm okay with that. But other parts of the month, I really need you to back away from me. And I need you to just let me be in my introspective place. But that back half of your cycle, that week before the, our period, too many women are using that patriarchal push on through. And that's what's damaging us hormonally. 
Oh yeah. I mean, in my HIIT training classes, it's day 27 or day 28. And I was like, you will just push yourself, just make it happen. Marisa, I would, that would be my talk. Just like you do what you need to do. And like just fighting against all of my biology to just get this workout done. And the rest of the day was like meetings all day, interviews all day. I mean, it was just do, 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 do. And I was just constantly just like push through it. Just figure it out. Me too. You know, and I just nurture my little, my younger self of just poor woman just getting pummeled. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I was the same way. I was like the same way. Like if I didn't feel like working out, I had a whole thing in my mind of like, get up, go do it. I don't care that you don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. So pummeling is exactly what it was like pummeling ourselves. I wish I could go back to my 25 and 35 year old self and say, you know, it's okay to rest during this yeah. week. It's okay. If your body's saying, please don't, right. let's not, let's just take a walk. That's just right. Do that. Do That's that right. instead. Yeah. Okay? You, know, <laughs> you know what I did with walking? Because the first time I made the decision to walk for exercise, I was like, you're being so lazy right now. Why are you not running? So then my brain said, well, what if we give it a different name? Walking just doesn't have a good sense for me. So I'm going to call it my forward movement workout. You are just moving forward. It doesn't matter at what pace. So it became part of my workout lingo. I was like, I'm going to go do a forward movement workout. I'll be right back. I love that you reframed it. No, it was never okay. Right. It was never okay. I was like, no, just run. Right. (laughs) And so- Or how I've reframed, I mean, I talk so much about walking, how it's the most underrepresented, underutilized, rock star thing that you can do for your blood sugar and your metabolism and your mental and emotional well-being and your digestive system, all the things. But for a long time, I was like, well, this is my podcast time or this is my, I'm still being productive. Yeah. Okay. I'm using my mind. I'm, this is where I'm listening to an audible book right now. Yes. I'm walking too. This isn't your workout. This is just you educating yourself while you move your body. That was kind of how I reframed it. And I love it. Now, now walking is I'm about, I got, girl, I got my Fitbit. I crush 10,000 steps every single day. And I just love, I relish being out in nature. I'm I'm really convinced that we're sun beings, that we are meant to be out in sun, that we are, that our circadian rhythms are really meant to be activated and supported through yep. being out in the sunshine every as much as you can. Obviously it's yep. the winter time right now, but I am. Yeah. So yep. I'm all about it's, the walking. And you know, on the circadian rhythm thing, that's so interesting is that, and I'm sure you came across this yourself is like, the more I understand female hormones, the more I understand we are so intimately tied to the earth and the moon and the sun, and we can't separate ourselves from that. So when you go for a midday walk, you're not only calming your brain, but you're stimulating serotonin receptor sites in your eyes. You're moving yourself. You're lowering cortisol. If you see nature, you're changing your exposure to different microbes. And it feels amazing. It feels good. I mean, I think we know if we take a look at the last several decades what it looks like, what it feels like to go against the grain of our circadian rhythms. Yeah. It does not feel good. No, it is not. Uh-uh. No, we, we are <laughs> feeling, we've got severe people with anxiety and depression. I think it's one in four kids have mental concerns and we can tell the pandemic did nobody any favors no. because we weren't outside at all. And so, yeah, I think we're, we're feeling that. And walking is one of the best ways that you just connect in with nature. I do have a question about circadian rhythms and I want to move into fasting and like, how do we get started? But a question I'm really curious to ask you, this has been really fascinating. Our son eats at five. 
So we eat at five, two, and right. usually we walk before or after our dinner for blood sugar support yeah. and, and, and glucose variability. And the beach is literally an eight minute walk down the street. It's amazing. It's incredible. The sunset, all the things, but we've been really interested in time restricted eating, basically eating before the sun's going down or yeah. close to when the sun's going down. I stop eating six o'clock is my ceiling. Yep. Unless yep. we're out of town, we're, you know, like something my normal day to day, we cook food. We cook dinner at four. <laughs> That's amazing. And we I eat at it. five. I mean, I'm literally my grandmother. Yeah. Um, and then I don't, <laughs> eat, <laughs> I don't eat again until like 10 or 11 the next day. That's what we're, we are doing. And I have felt incredible. And I don't know if you address this in the book at all in general. I mean, obviously I, I tailor it to the different times of my cycle. Also those things shift too, but what in the research have you seen about moving dinner earlier? Like yeah, when it comes so to smart. fasting, I'm just curious. It's so smart. So where I've evolved on taking your eating window is I think if you want to be the most metabolically healthy, you want to eat when the sun's out. And the minute it goes dark, whether it's the morning or the evening, when melatonin comes in, melatonin actually makes you more insulin resistant. Yes. So yes. If, right. So here's the crazy thing that let's say you do, we're just going to throw something like a bowl of pasta. Let's say you eat a bowl of pasta at, I know, I know, sorry. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen, girl. <laughs> You eat your bowl of pasta, you know, you don't go to sleep afterwards, but let's say you eat it at five o'clock and it's still light out and you go for your walk like you do. What happens is you actually have enough insulin that's going to help you process the glucose from that pasta. That same pasta at eight or nine o'clock when it's dark, forget it. Like forget that, it. You're, you're, that's going straight to fat. That's straight to your booty, straight to your <laughs> booty or your that's tummy right. or somewhere, somewhere. Maybe you want it on your booty. I don't know, but like, it's no, like I don't. you don't want it to go. <laughs> that's exactly right. So it's so crazy that the same meal, this is where like calorie it's counting two is ridiculous. Hours later. Yes. Yeah. So I really, now that we have kids out of the house, we're empty nesters. I'm like, okay, we can actually eat when we want to eat. So we've been doing the same routine as you eat at five. I love it. I, I love, love it. it. We're a blood sugar or CGM for over a year. And I was mind blown. And if I ate past six, it was like, I don't, it didn't matter what it was. It definitely yeah. didn't have to be pasta. It never was pasta. Let's be honest. Like yeah. it was broccoli and a sexy steak or something. And I still saw variability that I was not excited about. And so, right. I mean, I, and the later and later it got, if we ended up eating, I just <laughs> kissed that meal goodbye. Like it was that's all right. fat storage. And yeah. so, yeah, that that's really where I, I was looking at this more and more and kind of at five o'clock was my sweet window where it felt reasonable that that was a dinner time, yeah. but you know, that I wasn't eating dinner at three and not, not that some people aren't doing that, but that I still had sensitivity. I still had insulin sensitivity, especially with the walk. The walk was the game is the game change too. But I was like, gosh, I feel like so many of us, there's obviously lots of ways that we could be fasting, but that just felt like if we could just move dinner a little bit earlier, it'd be a really smart way to support our metabolic health. Anyway. It's so smart. And I, it's so smart. And I think you really sh can look at it as just make sure you're eating when it's light out because yes. melatonin's coming in when it's dark. Yes. Now in the summer, that's a lot easier. In the winter, you're going to have to be a little more disciplined about it. It's one of those hormonal concepts that's not talked about enough. So I'm so glad that you brought it up. 
because a lot of people are doing all the right things and they're still not getting the result that they want. And that I always come back to, okay, now let's look at when you're eating, like where is that eating window for you? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I knew this was just a nuance on the, the biggest building blocks, but it was just something I've been wanting to ask you because I've been looking at some of the research and I've been yeah. tracking it for myself and my family and it's made such a big difference. You yeah. know, it's funny how just some certain small things can make such a big difference. Yeah. But I also wanted to ask, because I know people are thinking as they're listening to this and women are thinking, okay, I can actually do this. I need to get this book. Please go get it. Go get it right now. Fast Like a Girl. It's everywhere books are sold. I mean, there are already tens of thousands of people that already bought this book. So I promise you, you are with a grand majority of people getting a hold of this book. But what do you recommend if we are, we've been hearing about this for years, we've been thinking about it, and we're finally ready to do this? Outside of taking into consideration our menstrual cycle, absolutely a consideration when we're doing this. Where do we start? Yeah. So here's the surprising thing. And I, in the book, I lay out what I call a pre-reset, meaning you do this for two weeks and it, it eases you into whatever fast you choose. The surprising part is that where you start is with your food. So make yeah. sure that you have made, right? You make sure you've made- You don't three- start with Cheetos? <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. I mean, you can go from the Western diet straight into fasting, but it's going to be a little bit harder. Gonna I'm hurt. not going to lie. It's going to hurt. Yeah, it's going to hurt. Think of it like you're sitting on the couch for like four months and one day you get up and throw some running shoes on and you're like, I'm going to go run six miles. Yeah, or like, like go do burpees or something. <laughs> you know, you don't go from couch to burpees. <laughs> That's right. Like you can do it. It's not like humanly impossible, but it's going to suck. So, so yeah. So I really like people to start with food and here are the three food changes. Yes. One, one is oils. And I'm sure you've talked extensively about this. Like we got to get the bad oils out and the good oils in. I'm sure your book has it. My book has it. If you don't know what that is, there's, it's really important to know. Second is I'm really a fan. I know there's been a lot of variations of keto and there's a lot of dirty, yucky keto products out there. So I really recommend your first step is just to go from processed carbs, man-made carbs to nature's carbs. So what that looks like is instead of pasta, which is a refined carbohydrate that had to be milled, you want to go to a sweet potato or to a potato. So look at the things that come out of the earth because that's going to be have more fiber. Your blood sugar is going to balance out better. So so make that switch. And the third one is stop doing eating toxins. And, you know, toxins are, yeah, well, and that kind of goes into the the carb. Yeah, that's a toxin. But like NutraSweet and your chemicals that are in your foods, like get rid of that stuff because those are obesogens that are making you you feel worse. I even take it one step further and say, look at what you're putting on your skin because that's an obesogen. Your plastic water, that's an obesogen. These are making you metabolically inflexible. My Stanley cup over here travels with me. Kingston and my Stanley cup. You'll always see those two together with me. (laughs) You're like, these are my two boys. They're my babies. Kingston and Stanley. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. You know, do you get on a plane and be like, I'm going to put my son here and then my water bottle son over here? I do. I give the water bottle son to my husband. I'm like, I'm going to need to hold this. <laughs> you hold Stanley. Hold I'm going to take care of Kingston. <laughs> yeah, I'm constantly giving Stanley to, to Alex because I have a 30 ounce version of this too. This is the 20. And when I'm when it's full and I'm carrying a 25 pound child, I'll tell you what, my husband's like, you're crazy. You're like, what are you doing? You've got a big old water bottle and you got a child in your hand. I'm like, this is mom stuff. This is what moms do. 
Mom's going to snuggle with the cute little squishy boy and you're going to hold Stanley. I know you're going to actually, you know what? You're absolutely right, Alex. Here, you hold my Stanley cup. I'll take the baby. <laughs> I know that's not oh what you were signing so up for on this walk, but now you get my Stanley cup. <laughs> oh my God. That's so good. So good. Yeah, that's right. That's what dads are for, right? Dads are just the, oh, the yeah. whole you know what? stuff mom can't hold. Oh my God. Do you know that when after both kids were born, my, my son's second child was maybe six months old. My son, my husband poured hot oil on his hand and we had to go to the hospital. You know, he put his hand in a big container of water to cool it down. But once we got to the hospital, they were like, no, no, this is not how you manage a burn, I guess. So they took it away and he sat in there and he was in so much pain. And this little devil inside my brain as I sat there watching him in pain was like, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like when you watch your loved one in in pain, it's kind of like when I was pushing two babies out of my womb naturally, like it's a whole nother level of pain, which is why I get to hold the cute cuddly child now because I earned it. Unfortunately, you're not going to have an earning experience here, but I do think there is a bit of this. We, the mom biological like focus of what we have to do to carry, what we have to do to deliver, what we have to do to nurse. Yeah. When we want the baby to snuggle with, we get the baby. We get the baby. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, and you know, I think just mom and modeling non-toxic everything. I mean, I hand wash everything oh, of my oh, son's wow. everything is glass every he's got his own stainless steel cup he's got a stanley he's, <laughs> he's got his own well i love mini stanley i they forget the company i, I did hours of research you I know but, i mean just the products that go on his skin every you know everything like yeah it matters all of this matters this i talked about how many children were seen with really was struggling with mental illness and i am convinced that it's because of all the toxins and all the ultra processed foods that they were exposed to even in the womb, yes. like that is that it just now that maybe it didn't hit us until we were our thirties and forties. Now we're seeing it hitting in teenagers earlier because they were exposed to it out the, out the jump. Yeah. You know? you, there's so much to say on that topic, but I interviewed a couple of years ago, the woman who wrote a book called countdown and it was about how sperm counts were going down. And she even put in there that penis sizes were shrinking in the babies that were being born. So I brought her onto my podcast to talk about like, why is that? And this is what she said. First trimester, when you're exposed to an overabundance of phthalates, which phthalates are in all of our fragrances, yeah. fragrance low and meats and water, but fragrances are a big one. It lowers testosterone. And if the testosterone in a growing, in a mom who has a growing boy in her womb is down, the actual area between the anus and the penis will actually shrink. And that penis will get pulled in. And literally that child is born with a smaller penis. And on top of that, going forward, any exposure to these phthalates changes sperm counts. So that's crazy. Yeah, I know. It's real. real. It's crazy. And yeah, I mean, we can, we're, I know we're not getting into all of that. My son does not fast for what, but like yeah, in right. terms of what yeah. we give him in terms of food and what he's been exposed to out the gate, what the protocols that I was on pregnancy. And then once he was born, because I'm still breastfeeding, there's so much that goes into that, but we are so metabolically conscious. It was interesting navigating this holiday season because a lot of the grandmas and aunties, they feel like my son should be eating a lot of stuff that I don't feel the same way about. I just like, and I remember having a conversation with one of my, I won't say who it is, but I sat down with one of my relatives and I was like, you know, like, 
because there were certain foods for us and then there were certain foods for other people. And so it was always pointed out like, oh, that's this food or oh, that's this kind of thing. I was like, well, maybe not even say it. Maybe let them try it. Why, yeah. why can't we just upgrade our food? Why can't that. we just upgrade our treats? Why can't we just upgrade you know, the things that. that we're serving during the holidays? Why does there have to be ultra processed over here for the normal people? And then like the healthier options for you guys. Amazing. I'm like, why couldn't we all just get an upgrade? Yeah. You know, like, why can't we make that. brownies with whole ingredients? Why yeah. can't we make banana muffins with allergy free, like little chocolate chips on top of them? And it all just tastes good, but there's no process. I mean, there's a little bit, I mean, a little bit of processing, you like a muffin, it is what it is, but there, it's as minimal as possible. Like, why can't it look like that moving forward? Yeah. And we agreed not to agree. <laughs> Oh no. I was going to say, how did that conversation go? And I was just like, but maybe we just don't do the ultra processed version of things. I was like, maybe brownies don't come in a box. I just, you know what I'm saying? Like there's so many recipes out there that are gluten-free and dairy-free and allergy-free. Like, ah, eh. And I love that. We're going to keep doing box brownies. So it's... Some people's minds are hard to change. It's so crazy. But I just wanted to, like you said, we've got to change the food first. And guess what? We've never lived in a time where the upgrades are available. That's right. It's all available and it's not that hard. And you can even buy some of them. Yeah, right. You know, it's just being aware of it. And uh, it's unfortunate that we live in a time where those three food changes are just prevalent and they're everywhere and everywhere. They're in Whole Foods. You can go into Whole Foods and find all plenty of toxic ingredients, which is really sad. So, but once you do that, the second part of that is, you know, we really have to get out of this, wake up in the morning, eat. I need to eat every couple of hours to speed up my metabolism. There's no evidence that that speeds up your metabolism. So what we've got to start doing is starting to compress our eating window. And the easiest way for a new faster is just push your breakfast back an hour. And what will probably happen is there'll be a moment that you're like, oh my God, this is hard. Why did I listen to that podcast and listen to that woman say, push my breakfast back an hour? You're going to go into a lot of questioning, but in that moment, your body's adapting. It's very much like going to the gym. When you go to the gym and you work out and all of a sudden you have to up your workout in order to get a better result. So pain, we have to not be afraid of discomfort when we're applying some of these health habits. And eventually, you know, you compress it enough. You just keep pushing it back little by little by little. And eventually you'll get to that first ledge, which is somewhere between 13 and 15 hours. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, you know, after we've been doing this for many years now, it feels so good. I love the freedom the having that metabolic flexibility, not worried or fearing being hangry. You know, you just, you have that. It is such a freeing experience, especially when you're eating life giving whole unprocessed foods. When you are in your eating window, you, your body just feels so good. And your mitochondria, let me tell you, your mitochondria will love you for not having to constantly work so damn hard when, when you're eating too many times. We need a break. Your mitochondria needs a break. Your cells need a break. Your cells have got to go and, you know, your cells, when you're eating all the time, it's like a teenage boy in their bedroom. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't even want to go in there. You can't even walk through it. Oh, you so need your cells to go in and clean up that teenage bedroom. You know what I'm saying? And like, clear it out. Oh my God. Did you have a brother? That's such a good analogy. That's so good. It's like, you don't even want to, but you're right. Like a toxic cell is like a teenage boy's room. It's Mm -hmm. smelly. It's inflamed with a lot of things. You don't know where the floor is. You know what I'm saying? 
<laughs> you don't know where the floor is. You might step on something that's slimy that you're not really wanting to. There are so many obscure things about that, but you're right. And so when you when you fast, you it's like sending a a maiden or, or a, a superhero. Yeah, a superhero to go in there and clean it all up. And that's what's happening to you cellularly. It's a good analogy. I love that. <laughs> and that's what your mitochondria deserve. And that's, I mean, if you're wondering why you're feeling sluggish, if you're wondering why things aren't running well, you're just, uh, especially after this holiday season, is your mitochondria just gunked up yep. and they need a break. And this is, and I think this is one of the easiest, like you said, food has got to be the first thing you focus on. I love that so much. And then g- start giving your, your, bo- give your body. This is what you're doing for your body. That's how we have to think about it. This isn't deprivation. This is allowing your body finally the opportunity to go and clean it up and to heal up. That's That's what we're talking about. I've done a couple water fasts. I'm I'm almost ready to go back into them, but that's next level. That's like a (laughs) 2.0. Yeah. So in the book, I mapped out six different lengths, everything from like 12 hours to 72 hours. And I explained why you would do each one and how to train yourself for one. What has shocked me about putting this book out into the world is we decided to do a three-day water fast challenge with the launch of the book. So that's this week. That's what we're doing. And 7,800 people signed up. That's we, amazing. We literally have like you're like 7,800 people that, and in a lot of like the publishers, when I pitched this book to the publishers, are like, ah, eh, I don't think people are going to want to do a long fast. Holy cow, they do. And a lot of it is because as you learn to fast, you end up craving longer fast because you feel your body has a new vibration. It has a restored mental clarity. I've noticed like I had like a shoulder stiffness, like third day will fast, it's completely gone. So all of my inflammation is coming down. You just experience your body in a new way. So it's really incredible. Oh, I love it. And I love that you just give us all that we need, like the blueprint for every type of fast we want to do, exactly how to step us through it, what the considerations to consider as a woman. The book is called Fast Like a Girl. Dr. Mindy Pels, it's been a pleasure. I'm going to have the link in the show notes. We're going to have it as a solo in our email to our audience. And I just want to say again, congratulations. And thank you so much for writing this book. We so desperately needed it. Oh, oh, thank you. I feel like every time I say we're cracking open the conversation, it takes several of us to write books like this to crack the conversation open. And you've done that as well. So thank you for having me. And I just adore you. Thanks for this fun conversation. Thank you. Now I know. It can feel frustrating when our bodies change and no one gives us a plan to adapt to those changes. I hear it all the time. What worked for me three years ago, what worked for me six months ago, isn't working today. And I can personally relate. I remember when what I was doing a year prior didn't work anymore. And actually, my doubling down on what I used to do made things worse. So during this conversation today with Mindy, we really address the changes that can happen to us, especially in perimenopause and beyond, and what we can do to pivot to get our energy and metabolism back on track. Now, if you would love to go deeper, and if you would love to learn about all the different types of fasts that you can do, and a program to literally set you up for success, specifically no matter what part 
where, where you're at in your age, whether you're childbearing or you're in perimenopause or you're on the other side of menopause, I want you to go and grab Mindy's book. There's nothing like that out there. I know there's a lot of books on fasting and intermittent fasting, but there is not a book on fasting for women until now. So go and get Fast Like a Girl. I'm going to have the link in the show notes. And I just want to say thank you so much for stopping by and listening to our interview today on the Essentially You podcast. If you love this episode, be sure to subscribe for more tips on how to uplevel your health and to love your hormones. Until the next episode, have an amazing day. 